0: who have been uh, regularly attending the Montreal Church in the morning services will understand that we have been going uh, through the gospel according to Luke. Some of you have been coming to the prayer meeting, and at the prayer meeting in the afternoon and again in the evening, we have been going through the Acts of the Apostles. Now the gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles were both written by the same author, Dr. Luke, by an actual word count. Luke wrote more of the New Testament than any other person, including his great and good friend, Paul. And uh, his life of Jesus is a very exciting and wonderful experience to read through and to take it systematically has its advantages. Now I deviated just a little bit from the systematic course by back in November, teaching us the uh, answer to the question which the lawyer asked Jesus about who is my neighbor because he wanted the definition of who he might uh, help and who he might not help and that lawyer i'm sure wished he'd never asked the question because when jesus got through answering it it laid it all on the rest of us and for all mankind uh, to know uh, that anyone in need uh, qualifies for our help that we must show them the love of god and uh, uh, so i i went off track back then because we were looking forward to the adoption of a little Cambodian family, uh, which we happily adopted, and uh, they're coming along fine. And uh, so uh, we uh, got off again to talk about the transfiguration just before Easter to discuss the meaning of our Lord's uh, exodus, which he was to accomplish at Jerusalem and his going to the cross and the fulfillment of all that Moses and Elijah and the prophets had tried to do. And then, of course, on Easter Sunday, we studied the great passage from the walk to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. Now we need to back up a little bit and go back. It's interesting to me that right after our Lord gives this example of good works. Now, remember, the lawyer didn't ask Jesus the question, what must I do to be saved? He asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus answered him by telling him that anyone was his neighbor who was in trouble or need, and that he could help. And Jesus told him to go and help those people, and he told us to do the same thing. Now right after that, I think that Luke must have realized that there were some people who would say, ah, salvation is going to be by works. And so it's going to be the labors of my hands that will win me salvation. And right after this, he puts in the wonderful story of Martha and Mary. Now let me read from 38, verse 38 of chapter 10. You listen carefully. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a certain village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, "'Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me "'to do all the serving alone? "'Then tell her to help me.' "'But the Lord answered and said to her, "'Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered "'about so many things, but only a few things are necessary really one thing, for Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. Now may God bless to our understanding this very important reading from his word. right after the account of the Good Samaritan. And by the way, that word Samaritan had been a dirty word until Jesus told that story. And after that, it becomes a good word and synonymous for good. I don't know how many times I've seen Good Samaritan hospitals, although they charge considerably more. Uh, but uh, 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 the word has become synonymous with good, and that's interesting. Then right after this, Luke has chosen to put in this interesting account of Jesus' visit in what I think must have been his favorite home. Our blessed Lord was so humble that he said, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has not where to lay his head. Thy couch was the sod, O thou son of God. In the deserts of Galilee, we sing that at Christmas time. Our Lord Jesus came into the world divesting himself of the comforts that might have come from a home when he began his wandering ministry, preaching and teaching in various places. But there were people who loved Jesus dearly and who invited him to come into their home. And such a home was the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus in the little town of Bethany, just outside of jerusalem jesus loved that home and i think that he used to go there to receive in, refreshment and encouragement from his soul i do not know how he came to know this family we are not told we know of course later some tremendous things that happen as a result of this but this first incident that luke tells us about simply says that as they were traveling along he entered a certain village, and that village must have been Bethany, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Did you ever have anyone welcome you into their home and then become so busy that they forgot all about your being there? Well, this is about what happens to Martha. Now, she's going to come out better in the end, but uh, she had a sister called Mary, and this is one of the marks of great authenticity to me of the... Uh, scriptures because it, it just paints it warts and all uh, if some evangelical had been writing this today to print it in some magazine We would have colored it all up a whole lot better than this But she had a sister called Mary who moreover was listening to the Lord's Word uh, Mary was seated at, uh, at at his feet The word also is used in some of the scriptures there and in in some of the manuscripts Which indicates that Mary had probably been assisting Martha in some of the preparations, but it heard what Jesus was talking about and then went over to listen to what he was saying. And uh, she was caught up with what Jesus was saying because her spirit was in tune with what he had to say. But Martha was one of those persons who, the word here says, was distracted with all of her preparations. It literally means that a rope is around her neck and she's being drugged around by all that she was trying to do. She was not uh, running her work. Her work was running her. And uh, so she was distracted with all of her preparations. To her, to, to put out an elaborate meal uh, must have been the big thing. Uh, there was this distinguished guest in their home. Uh, there were people there and she wanted everything to to be uh, just in order, and so there was the clatter of pots and pans and the smell of all kinds of dishes cooking. And uh, and then suddenly she says, where in the world is Mary? I thought she was in here. And then she walks in the other room, the living room, and there is Mary listening to what Jesus is saying. And so Martha, (laughs) you know, people who get to be like this are very grouchy. Uh, I'm so glad she was saved. She would have been worse if she hadn't been. Uh, she would have thrown a pot or a pan. But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations and she came up to Jesus. Now, she came up to Jesus and said to Jesus, don't you care that my sister left me to do all the serving? Can you imagine talking to Jesus that way? Uh, she was very blunt. Uh, and uh, very much to the point. And then she tells her the remedy. Then tell her to help me. My goodness. Uh, (laughs) This is a little explosion. Uh, and, And look how the Lord defuses the explosion. The Lord answered her. And he speaks in a repetition of words, and when he repeats words, that is significant. He does it with very tender affection, and yet he is calling importance to something that he wants her to remember for a long time. And affectionately, but effectively, he says, Martha, Martha. Now later on, Simon Peter, who is going to betray him, is in the upper room and Jesus has said, one of you is going to betray me, and Simon makes his tremendous speech and says, though everyone else here might betray you, Lord, there's one guy you can count on, and that's Peter. You just remember that. I got a sword, and he had one. He used it later on. He meant to defend his Lord, but he had a clumsy sort of devotion to him. He did the, right, the wrong thing from the right motive, and I think Martha has some of the same sort of spirit. She had the, uh, the right motive she wanted to, Uh, served, but she did the wrong thing. She became grumpy about it. And uh, uh, that kind of crabbedness sort of spoils everything. And uh, so this is what happens to her here. Well, now, when Simon Peter did that in the upper room, Jesus spoke to him in very much the same way, and he said, Simon, Simon, repeated the words twice, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you. You better look out when you get in one of these crabby moods, because you're going to do something wrong. You're going to overstate something. Someone has said that an exaggeration is a truth that lost its temper. (laughs) That's a pretty good definition. And so she makes an extreme thing out of it. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things But only a few things are necessary. Now Moffat's translation of this says only a few dishes are necessary. And then carries it a little further and says Mary had chosen a better dish. Indicating that there might have been, and there's some good manuscript evidence for that too, that she must have been putting on quite an elaborate thing. Now then let me ask you to remember back just a little bit. The best conversations that you've ever been in in your whole life where you really were uplifted. Can you remember what you ate? I don't, boy I can remember some exciting conversations that I had in the White House and when I was off someplace in Vietnam with some ambassador or with Billy Graham someplace and with some other people too and I couldn't tell you if I was gonna be shot what I was eating, I was so excited, I I wanted to listen and I wanted to learn. And I wanted to hear what some of these people said. And I cared a whole lot more about that than I did about the food. And uh, I think that here Mary realized the same thing. Here is the blessed Lord Jesus in her presence. And she has this marvelous opportunity to listen to him. And so she wants to listen. And later she proves how much she understands because when she anoints his feet there in in that last week of his life with the ointment, which is recorded for us in John chapter 12, she breaks that little alabaster box of ointment and pours it onto his feet and the room is filled with the fragrance of it. You remember there were some disciples, at least one who said, why was this waste made? Well, Jesus said, you be quiet and leave her alone. She has anointed me for my burial. Mary must have heard him talking about Isaiah 53, that he would be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, that by his stripes we would be healed, that he would bear our infirmities upon him. And she caught the inner meaning that some of his disciples did not catch and had a closeness there uh, to him that was evident. And then of course you remember that before that there had been the time in which Lazarus had died and they had sent for word to Jesus, he whom thou lovest is sick. And Jesus didn't come right away. And Martha with her customary bluntness comes out to meet him when he came, and this is in John chapter 11. And Martha believed in Jesus as the Son of God and said so right there. This shows us that there are Christians who are true Christians who have, equal temp- who have different temperaments. But we need to correct things as Jesus corrects them. And you remember Mary, when she comes out to meet him, falls again at his feet And says that she knows, she knows that he is the son of God. And that he has the power even to raise her brother up. So there's great faith in Jesus here. She found at Jesus' feet a blessing, Mary did. Which Jesus says is not going to be taken away from her. Because she listened. And she is trying to learn from my word. And when we neglect our time with the scriptures and our time with prayer and we substitute for it putting more money in the collection plate or doing more things, we really hurt Jesus. It's like some people who work more than they spend time with their families when they could spend more time with their families if they chose to do so. Sometimes we should reduce the scale of things that we seek after and seek to show love to those who are around about us. That's more important than the things that we add to them. The prayer. She found at his feet her blessing. That's the first thing I want you to remember. The other day we had here, up here on this platform at chapel A man who sang 12 seasons with the Metropolitan Opera Company. A tremendous baritone. Man, he had a voice that must have been like Gabriel's. He sang so beautifully. And you know what I asked him to sing? I asked him to sing Jesus Loves Me. (laughs) When Karl Barth came to the United States, the great colossus of the theologians, and was in Chicago being interviewed by a press conference, someone asked him what the most profound thought he'd ever had was and Karl Barth replied, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I asked this baritone to sing, for Jesus loves me. He had some stanzas to it that I hadn't heard before. And this is one that he sang that stuck in my mind. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I love Jesus, does he know? Have I ever told him so? Jesus wants to hear me say that I love him every day. That's good. That's good theology. and It'll also help you live a Christian life. You can't be like the man whose wife said, honey, do you love me? Tell me you love me. And he said, okay, honey. Now I told you 14 years ago I loved you and I'm going to tell you again. Now don't forget it this time. (laughs) You can't can't operate that way. And and so what the man says here is good. Uh, I love Jesus. Does he know? Have I ever told him so? Jesus wants to hear me say that I love him every day. Mary knew. Mary knew that man does not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Mary knew what Job had said back in the Old Testament that it was more necessary for him to know God's revelation, God's word to him, than anything else. And may I say this quickly about prayer, and then I want to go to the other two very quickly. Last week I fulfilled this engagement down in Laurel, Mississippi and Walt Shepard Jr.'s little Trinity Presbyterian Church in Laurel. Now I've had a lot of sickness in the last few years and I don't like to go away from home anymore. I'm like an old dog that if you throw a stick and hit them, they run home and get out of the house. And (laughs) I don't care about going off as much as I used to. And uh, uh, I really didn't want to go down there, but I, Walt Jr. had made his testimony down here in Anderson Auditorium, and Walt Sr. preached for me last summer. And one of the little side deals was that I would go and preach for Walt Jr. when I had a chance. Walt Sr., I first met out in uh, Lubondi, out in what was then called the Congo in 1960, 20 years ago. And... uh, His father is a tremendous Christian on the staff of the Highland Park Church in Dallas. Marvelous Christian family, an architect by training and by profession who had gone to be a missionary and a tremendous saint, a prayer warrior, a man of the word of God, a person who witnesses for Jesus. And yet his son going to one of our denominational colleges fell in with a group of ministerial candidates who thought he was taking his religion too seriously, and he got into drinking, and he got into drugs, and he got into sex, and he got into a lot of things that were terrible. He lost his fellowship with the Lord. He became hostile toward his family and separated from them. He went into the dregs of sin He told me last week that in the Irish Channel in New Orleans that he would sell a pint of his blood for $5 so that he could go into a wine shop and buy a a jug of wine just to keep going. That he would wake up in an alley in a puddle of his own urine, stinking and filthy and drunken. But he said, my father's knees were calloused from praying for me. And my father haunted me everywhere I went. He said, I remember tending a bar and feeling that two eyes were looking at me and I looked up and there was my father with his white hair speaking to me, telling me that he loved me and asking if there was anything he could do to help. And I rebelliously told him no. There was nothing he could do. But he said he kept praying for me. And then at the age of 27, coming across Interstate 10, trying to do 130 miles an hour in a sports car, drunk, having been living with a girl for some time whose life he had messed up and his own life too, and he decided he would end it all and he swerved the car into an abutment. It hit the abutment and careened off into a parked car. The two cars exploded in the median. A Holiday Inn nearby emptied, and the people ran out to see it. The highway patrol arrived, the police. They cordoned off the area. He said, no one knows who the two men were. The highway patrol couldn't find them nor could the reporters, but out of the crowd, two men came running into the fire and dragged me bodily out of the fire. A hundred and sixty stitches in his head and face, taken into the hospital with the leg from his bone protruding through his leg. He came to, when they had applied some smelling salts, to hear a doctor say, what is your father's name? And he said, I don't want him to know about this. And he said, son, you're about to leave us. You're going to die. And he said, if your dad sees you alive, you better tell me what your phone number is. The nurse had asked for a, the doctor if he wanted a splint kit to fit on his leg, and the doctor said, it's no use, it's too late. His father came. People prayed, and after the most fantastic, miraculous recovery you can imagine, he came back from the very brinks of hell and death, back to life again, back to the love of his father, back in answer to prayer. This father, like Mary, had listened at the feet of Jesus and believed his words. And like Mary, she had brought her burden to Jesus like when her brother died. And he had given the best he had to Jesus like Mary in that upper room. And the Lord heard those prayers. And that boy was redeemed. Not only redeemed, but in the Canal Street Church in New Orleans he was put to some Christian work in a little coffeehouse ministry. Then later he was sent up to Gordon-Conwell Seminary. He graduated from there and married Elizabeth Elliott's daughter, the little girl that had been with the Alka Indians as a small child. And the two of them have a tremendous ministry for Christ there in Mississippi today. And what a testimony. And when I said to him, what brought you back to the Lord? He said, my father's prayers. My father's prayers brought me back to the Lord. He knew that his father cared. Do we know the Lord like we ought to know him through the scriptures? Have we listened at his feet to learn? Have we chosen the best part, rather than to be fussing around doing so many good works that we never seek to listen to him. One of the silliest things I've ever read in the history of art, artists have some crazy streaks in them anyway, but I hope <laughs> I'll be forgiven for that. But, <laughs> but Raphael, you know what he did? When he died, he had painted the, the uh, big canvas of the transfiguration that's in the in Rome in the Vatican when he died he had some people walk in front of him with his big canvas of the transfiguration as much as if to say the man that painted this picture is back here in the coffin now the Bible says that the saints do rest from their laborers and their works do follow them. They don't go before them. And I'm sure if he tried to get in the pearly gates and Peter was the great gatekeeper and it was straight and narrow, he would have said, Master Raphael, that thing is too big to come through this gate. And besides that, we are more interested in you and what you believe than in your canvas. And besides that, you got me painted asleep, and I was awake part of the time. Uh, This could have all happened. You see, the works, the works are the things that we show because we love Jesus. But we don't go uh, up to heaven saying to the Lord, this is my passport. Look at all these things I've done, all this money I've given, and all this other good stuff down here. And this is going to get me in. No. Mary said Jesus won't have the better part taken away from her because she's chosen the best. And Martha, you're fussing and cumbering about too many things. You're a good sweet soul and I appreciate all you're doing but now you're making everyone uncomfortable with all of this. You can do both. You can work and pray. You can both serve Jesus. And Martha, Martha listened. And when we see her again in that upper room, by the way, that last time, that's a beautiful scene, Martha serves and there's no complaint. And Mary is at Jesus' feet there. I wanna close with a very short quotation from a little book by C.S. Lewis called The Magician's Nephew my wife said don't read long and I'm not <laughs> she's homesick, sick so I'll read C.S. <laughs> Lewis when he was in his 50s wrote this uh, seven little books called the Chronicles of Narnia and all of you know that the Narnia books are the story of some little children in the city of London when it was being bombed during World War II that uh, they were taken out into the countryside to stay in an old professor's house, and like little children do, they wandered all over this strange old house, and they found this wonderful wardrobe, and they climbed into it, and Lewis is always very careful to put in a little word. He's so sweet. He puts in a word, but they left the door open because he doesn't want any of them to get locked in wardrobes who read about it later on, and, <laughs> and uh, they come out into this magic land of Narnia. Now, Lewis, uh, when he was, uh, by the way, these things are classics and, I, and uh, they will stand for a long time. When he was asked, let me read you his own words of what he said about his books, uh, about this series. Someone asked him if he was trying to lie, write an allegory like John Bunyan, and he said no. He said, I wrote this way. He created this fantasy like Narnia. Given a place like Narnia, I wondered what the Redeemer would be like and what evil would be like and what faith would be like. And that's the way he wrote the stories. Now, in this little book, The Magician's Nephew, it tells about the creation of the world. And it tells about Jadis, the wicked queen who represents the Satan figure. And Aslan, of course, is the great lion of God. And uh, in this, there are two a little girl named Polly and a little boy named Diggory, D-I-G-O-R-Y. And Diggory had to leave England to go into Narnia. And he's in the story, so he doesn't know what the little boys and girls who are reading the book know, that time in Narnia doesn't take away from your time back in the earth. (laughs) And uh, when he had left to go into Narnia, his mother had been dreadfully sick very gravely ill. And he kept wanting to get back to his mother and he was greatly concerned about her. And yet after the fall has occurred, there comes something that Diggory is given a task to do. Let me me just read this quickly. Son of Adam said, Aslan, are you ready to undo the wrong that you have done to my sweet country of Narnia on the very day of its birth? Well, I don't see what I can do, said Diggory. You see, the queen ran away. I ask, are you ready, said the lion. Yes, said Diggory. He had for a second some wild idea of saying, I'll try to help you if you'll promise to help my mother. Now that's an important line because that's the way we do a lot of times with prayer. We try to say to the Lord, Instead of listening to him, instead of learning from him, instead of giving our best to him, we try to deal with him. Lord, I want to make you a deal. You help me out of this jam, and I'm going to like this guy that you know I don't like. And I'm going to do this, and I'm going to forgive all these people that you want me to forgive. And that's not the way we're supposed to be. We don't bargain with God. Yes, said Diggory, and he had for a second some wild idea of saying, I'll try to help you if you'll promise to help my mother. But he realized in time that the lion was not at all the sort of person one could try to make a bargain with. But when he had said yes, he thought of his mother, and he thought of the great hopes he had had, and how they were all dying away, and a lump came in his throat and tears in his eyes, and he blurted out, and that's a tremendous word for prayer, when you just blurt out, but please, 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 won't you, can't you give me something that will cure mother? Up till then he had been looking at the lion's great front feet and huge claws, and now in his despair he looked up at its face, and what he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life, for the tawny face was bent down near to his own, and wonder of wonders, great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. Now the lion is the Christ figure. They were such big, bright tears compared with Diggory's own that for a moment he felt as if the lion must be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. Now do you see the love of Jesus shining through here? Can we trust him that much? Can we realize that there are tears in his eyes that he's touched with our grief? That he doesn't want the feeble work of our hands as much as he wants the devotion of our heart. And then when he has the devotion of our heart, then, then our works will be what they ought to be before him. Let us bow in prayer. Our heavenly father, we thank you that you love us so much that you've given us great things to do for you, but above all, you've given us the love of Jesus. Help us to remember that he was the rock of ages cleft for us. Help us to know that the tears in his eyes are tears that were shed for us so that any who are apart from him right now and in sin and want forgiveness, make them to know that just as really As we're here this day, Jesus will forgive their sins and take them unto himself. How we praise you that he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man will open the door, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. He wants us to be his guest and he wants to be our host. So help us to accept his invitation, those who have not. Then help those of us who think that we know him, learn to know and love him better, and be willing to show our love for him to all the people he wants us to show that love to. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and guide, be and abide with us all now and forever.